everyone. I'm Alan. I'm Britt. And we are here for episode 75 of AB Testing. Quite possibly the first and only ADHD free podcast we've ever done. <laughs> we've had... <laughs> When we started recording five minutes ago, I said we had technical difficulties, and uh, indeed we did because we are minutes ago. starting over. <laughs> it was only five minutes ago we started, and we said that. Yep. Uh, we are starting a little late, might be a little on the short side today, and right now people are cheering, going, oh, thank God, I don't need to sit through an hour of this crap. <laughs> A-B testing is your podcast for information about... Software testing, software quality, much more of a software quality podcast. Yes. Agile testing and what we call modern testing and lots of listener input to give us ideas to focus because we need ideas to focus. Right, Brent? Uh, no. Okay. It's, it's part of the charm of the podcast. Whatever. I will say uh, that as well, right, um, Alan corrected himself. I think that we are not necessarily, while testing is a part of it, I think we're far more a, a podcast around quality than around testing. Bingo. Um, but we spent a lot of time talking about better ways to deliver uh, quality, including those places where testing is not it. Absolutely. Yep. Quick a little pitter-patter here. Chatter. Pitter-patter chatter. I was in Montreal right after we, right before we recorded our last podcast. I mentioned that. And in between, I went to Heathrow, didn't make it all the way to London, maybe to dinner for some moderately okay meals, but uh, hung out at an airport in Heathrow for two days with my peers and my manager. And one of the three were there. Marcus is a, Marcus is a peer of mine, hanging out with us, talking about teams and strategy and people and stuff and very good discussions. So good, in fact, we decided we need to do it twice a year, and we're getting together again in six months in Reykjavik, Iceland, because we try to pick places that everyone can have a direct flight. Yeah, I'm a little jealous of uh, your, your travel schedule. Like I was just telling a story last night to one of my PMs that except for the Bahamas, I have never been out of North America. Wow. Yeah. And it, it, part of the time, I mean, there's been op many opportunities for me to go do business trips, but I, at times I am too clever for my own self-interest. So, uh, so I figure out ways where I, we can solve the problem. I'd prefer to solve the problem, including a trip, but I've now come up with a way where I don't have to do that. And I'm like, damn it. You are too clever. Too Stop clever. fixing this problem. I think there's a problem with... Data piped through Hawaii. I need to go debug. That's not really leaving North America. I guess it. No, it's, I mean, I, I don't know. Not leaving the states. Technically leaving the North America. What continent is Hawaii considered part of? It's an island. I, Good I, trivia question. For I, I, I know that. I have, okay. I just call it an island. So one way you can not travel is to give webinars from the comfort of your own home with or without pants. And I'm going to be giving two of those coming up in Feb. Next Tuesday, I'm giving one for AST on the use and abuse of test automation. Then I go skiing for a week. And then I come back and give a webinar, uh, webinar slash panel discussion on the future of test automation. If it's it's not officially announced yet, but as soon as it is, I'll put a plug out there on Twitter and the A-B testing site and go from there. And, and what is the future? A lot of what we talk about in modern times. <laughs> 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 
All right, so, so I'm it, guessing no surprises for me on this no one. No <laughs> surprises for you. So why don't we just... What's the contradictory future? I'm wondering about that. It isn't really contradictory. I think it's this con- what we've talked about with moving to modern testing. And if we, I, I keep on visualizing the diffusion of innovation curve. And I see modern testing is out towards the end, maybe not all the way on the end. Uh, I think there's still a lot of the world with people in that big part of the curve with separate teams doing test automation. And for them, the future is an embedded tester who does all the testing for the team as part of an agile team. On that topic, uh, I should look this up, but when does the survey close? The survey is closed, I believe. The state of testing survey ended last week. Okay, good. I'm, I'm looking forward to the results on that one and, and seeing if I can help determine uh, – what I'm really interested in, and maybe that will be an important source of data for that, I'm really interested in trying to observe how close to the tipping point uh, the world is on this topic. I, th- I would love to get some data-driven insight around that. I can see anecdotally, and I've mentioned this before, and it's worth mentioning again. I am getting to a spot in my idea generation, and typically that comes out in talks I give, but I love it that when I start talking about modern testing and or aspects of modern testing or where I want to go, I see head nods. Yeah, I could see that happening or I'm doing that. I'm living that. And then looks of horror from others. And I love being in that pocket because it feels like it's the right place to push things forward. Test bash is coming up soon for you. Test bash is in March. I'm sure I'll mention that again, but I'm excited about that where I will talk about the adventures of modern te- adventures in modern testing. I'm wondering if there's a, a, a heuristic here where uh, you can just start recording after you do a conference on this topic. You start recording so that the rough percentage of head nods versus shocks looking you get from the audience. Obviously, you got to do your presentation, so you got to yeah. go do this fast. I should I should work something in. I don't like presentations that go. How many of you agree with this? How many of you don't? So I have to kind of gauge it. But I will give you a a ratio where I see of head nods versus looks of horror from, from the crowd. I will, I will try and figure that out. I um, presented last Friday internally. And yeah, so I guess it's not going to be an ADHD free uh, podcast today. Never Even is. Even though we're limited in time. Not with Brent. But uh, I, I say, on the other hand, am laser <clears throat> focused. I gotta say, so like a robot, all of us sort of have this uh, a laser focused robot. Go on, Brent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now I'm pulling up episode '60s metaphor <laughs> with the squirrel on the bus with the hat and the elephant thing. So, did a presentation on uh, a very similar one to the one I did uh, for Unity. I had to generalize the context. This time, it was a lot more around. Hey, we're we're a data team just starting up. You know, what have you learned in terms of how to create a data-driven culture? They had invited other talks to there, and I know you admit to this. Uh, I think it's a human condition, but a lot of the time that go, that I go through when I do these presentations is just pushing down and rejecting and ignoring. Everything my gut is saying uh, around imposter syndrome. Like, oh my God, there are actual people here who just did another presentation. 
they know what they're talking about. And then, and then, it, uh, but this last presentation, it, it got me. It got me. I like. I, I was like, wait a minute. No, I've actually done everything I'm saying in here. I started losing confidence in there. It, it, just the worst freaking presentation I have done in recent past. Bummer. Yeah. So the good thing for me is thankfully it was I, like to thirty people. Is that <laughs> I literally know nothing. I am the pure <sighs> imposter, but I also believe in the fake it till you make it uh, statement. So that's <laughs> that is really how I do things. I look at stuff and there's a man tangent inception. I was having a conversation with someone recently about how LinkedIn skills are bizarre. Like I'm endorsed for things I've never done before. Oh, it's like, Oh wow. What if me, I, me too. What and, if I should be an expert in that? Uh, but I'm just, I hate it. All right. I'm going to rewind <laughs> and get us on to the topic of the day. Which is what, Alan? Which is which is a mailbag question. It's a what? I think I I did mention that I've retired uh, due to a pending lawsuit from Nickelodeon over use of the Blues Clues mailbag theme, and my and my and my missed desire to sing the mailbag song anymore. What? I I I, I am <laughs> I am done. I have moved on from the mail. If someone wants to send in a great soundbite thing. Oh I'll God. use it, but I'm not singing mailbag anymore. Oh. But we're not doing a damn mailbag. Uh, I've just ruined I, I, Brent's I, Well, we life. got to 75. <laughs> I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, it's, this clearly signals the beginning of the end of the podcast. Or a new step in maturity. <laughs> yeah, so we're right. quickly moving into... Now we're down where to... We're going to be news anchors sort of <sighs> reporting out and reading Shut scripts. And, up. Oh, my God. I totally... I totally disagree and i don't understand why i wasn't called into the okay vote on this we'll, we'll we'll take a vote from the three uh maybe uh, i don't know what to do here today i'm not singing it i'm making a stand and i will i'm i'm happy to experiment this is an experiment a pro nickelodeon i'm going i am going to do an a b test Wait, are it, they it, are they a hidden sponsor that you haven't told me about? They're not. <laughs> I am doing an A B test in two different as an experiment and okay. for the A B testing audience. There's no mailbag song today. I can't believe you spent three minutes talking about this. This is important. <laughs> and I'm positive the three will echo my opinion. I'm positive the three will say that Brent this is segment, right. This segment is just as valuable without a little reverbed up mailbag thing stolen directly from Blue's Clues. So, Tony Gutierrez asks, <laughs> there's been a lot of talk on the podcast about starting a community for testers and testers not having to report to a tester for, for a manager. The issue I see, as lots of stuff will go dissect here, the issue I see at my current job is that many of the testers do not see the need for a community or aren't engaged and seem to want to be spoon-fed. Any tips on how to get the testers more engaged or starting a community from scratch? And in rereading this question, I realize that we don't have enough time to cover everything, all the nuance in here. There's a lot of nuance in here. And uh, 
So what I want to do, you take point. I'll follow you. What your I want to do is I want to talk about community a little bit, and then I'm going to go back because there's more to Tony's question than just community. So the the part I thought I thought I, I find, thought I got to take point, but go ahead. No, you did. Uh, I'll, I'll just add in here the part of this that I have experienced, and I have. Just found a challenge is sort of the phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. There's getting, getting testers engaged is the hard problem. And I would say in a nutshell, I have not found a great solution for driving. I have not found a better solution for driving engagement from, I'll call the resistant than creating a logical argument that constructs fear. Great. So let's put a pin in that because that's the part I wanted to come back to after we talked about community. Done. I want to talk about community first. Go ahead. Let's commune. Um, God, why do we do this? (laughs) So we have talked in the podcast about community and Early on in my, it's interesting, when I give this talk on adventures in modern testing, and this is tangent deception because I'm going back, I talk about the last projects that I've worked on and what I've learned from them. And there was a time that largely overlapped with my time in Xbox. It kind of began before that where, actually it began way back in engineering excellence, where I began to leverage community across Microsoft for my own growth. I... Again, I'd fake it till I make it. I didn't know much, but I knew people who knew a lot. And the community became, across the company, became very important for my growth. So in that, I ended up at one point, uh, like the orange one in the U.S., owning the House, the Senate, and the executive branch. I was the chair of the Microsoft Test Leadership Team. I ran Microsoft Test Architect Group, senior individual contributors. And I also ran our... Uh, cross-company quality and testing experts community run out of our TC our technical community network organization. So I had all kinds of community and they overlapped and I and I figured out how they how they fed each other and I put a lot not a I was lot in all three of those things. Yeah, you you were yeah you were my wow you I, I see the way you left the, the role. House. I mean that's a clear sign of of uh, technical errors on your part. <laughs> yeah, what else? But. So that was that was value for my career. But then when I was on Xbox, I learned the value of, uh, in, mostly in hindsight, the value of community, of different kinds of communities. And one was, as I've mentioned before, and, I've, and I, I like this example, I ran, I was asked to run a tools organization in Xbox. And I said, I don't want to run a tools org for lots of reasons why, uh, mainly focused around Microsoft's competitive stack ranking and how tools teams often were left out of those things. I didn't want to be a part of that. But I did run our Xbox tools like an open source project, two of us contributing the most, one contributing much more than me, but uh, looping in as many as 20 or 30 different people around the org to contribute tools that we used org-wise, many of, many of those tools still being used today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's exciting to hear. And then also starting to build a community of... I had no one reporting to me, but I sort of ran the community of the test organization for my manager. So we had in Xbox the typical a separate functional test organization, and my manager's job was to 
run the run the business of that group and, and attend meetings and all, all the things a typical test director does. And I ran the community pretty much. I made sure people were connected. I sent out newsletters. I made sure they. I made sure people were connected. People who needed it had mentors. Uh, spun up sub communities as needed, and it made me realize again in hindsight that a functional test organization, the, the typical test organization, is kind of a community, but it, or or it can be a community. So when I came to Unity, I as my test team, my team, were all embedded everywhere across the org around I, the world. I will actually just interrupt you and say there is a lot of value in the communities, period. I can go in examples. I have a great one just yesterday. I don't think there's anything special about tests such no. that test gains a benefit from forming no. a community. I, and, I, I, and I hope I did not imply that. Okay. No. I think... As the three know, I am a huge fan of Philip Armour's Orders of Ignorance. Yep. And without recapping those, I think communities are a wonderful method to discover what you don't know you don't know. They facilitate learning and discovery. Yep. And I'm really happy about that. As I got to Unity and discovered that what I really did was a community leader, I started thinking more about it. And then for some reasons, uh, probably thinking about what the overlap was between agile testing and modern testing. I reread the Crispin Gregory book on agile testing, and I came across this paragraph. There are reasons for having a QA manager and an independent test team. However, we suggest changing the reasons as well as the structure. Rather than keeping the testers separate as an independent team to test the application after coding, which we hate, th uh, which we hate with my part, think about the team as a community of testers. Law. Provide a learning organization. I'm going, yes, I could have written this line. Provide a learning organization to help your testers with career development and a place to share ideas and help each other. If the QA manager becomes a practice leader in the organization, that person will be able to teach the skills that testers need to become stronger and better able to cope with the ever-changing environment, which very much describes what I do to an extent. But I think there's more than just being the practice leader. I take those other skills of community and try and get people to connect and share ideas with each other. We do a weekly newsletter. Just my job, I feel like a big part of my job is to help everyone on my team discover what they don't know they don't know mm -hmm. and make it become something they know and share those practices with each other. So I got off track a little bit in talking about my history of community, but there's a maturity there. A community, I don't want to call this a maturity model because I haven't thought it through yet, but I think a community starts with like right now, I am needed to keep it going. If I left, the community would may, maybe continue. We're a little it, – sometimes if, when you, if a leader leaves a community, the community just stops. And, I, and I've seen that happen with, with all those communities. So some ended for other reasons. Have I shared with you the metaphor uh, around the difference between the spider and the starfish? Yes, I'm, I'm very much aware of The Spider okay. and the Starfish. Right. There's a book, I think, called The Spider and the and Starfish. And if you ha there is. Which I've read. And it's fantastic, and it's relevant. It is. Uh, Do you want to expand on it so I can stop talking for a minute? The Spider and the Starfish? It's worth it. Sure. I think we may have talked about it before. I know I've blogged about it before. We have new listeners. Yeah, that's that's a good point. We can dive in. This is, this is worthwhile <laughs> is and this relevant the year, to the conversation. Is this, uh, 
Yeah, there's a strategy. Yeah, when we say we've talked about it before and it was earlier in the same episode, then we're in trouble. Yeah, no, there's just, there's a strategy. I once talked with Whitaker, uh, James Whitaker, on this, and I'm like, I don't know how pissed he'll be for me sharing this, but essentially, he uh, one of his later test books. I'm like, dude, except for the certain way you skin this content, this is exactly the same book as the one you wrote five years ago. And he looked at me and he smiled. He's like, the problems haven't changed. <laughs> and I'm like, you scam artist. Anyway. Spider and the Starfish, Brent. Oh, Please sorry. Please recap. Yep. Spider and Starfish. They think of it as a metaphor. Uh, primarily, the the difference between a spider and a, and a starfish, if you kind of squint your eyes and look at, you know, a third-year-old drawing, is a spider has a head. Starfish doesn't. Uh, fun fact, uh, the current science uh, on, on starfish is that um, they actually believe that each, each leg of a starfish has its own brain. And that actually, for things like how the starfish moves, it's uh, one leg convinces the other legs to move this way. So when you have the sense that you know that the community will die once you leave, I mean, uh, it's a clear spider. It's a great book, Spider Starfish. Uh, I usually go into a longer metaphor we don't have time for today on this. But I will say, in my time in Xbox... I created a community model that leveraged the principles of um, uh, Spider and Starfish. And after about three months of me uh, as the head of the spider encouraging it to go, I got it to self-sustain. The reason why it died? A reorg. <laughs> So one, and and I'll recap that, I think you can think of the spider as the leader-led organization and the starfish as the leaderless organization. More of an an independent. Yeah. Well, I mean, in in the subtitle of the book, they call it, I just double-checked, it's like the starfish and the spider, blah, 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 leaderless organization. It is absolutely not leaderless. But yeah, I get that thing. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So. It's managerless community <coughs> i think the the problem with a leader a, a spider or a leader led a functional test organization if the leader leaves uh it's it's gone right Just like i said with the reorg That's, I, yeah. I, I lost my train of thought there for a second but a a leader a leader filled a spider can never be self-sustaining a spider organ spider organization it can't self-sustain. It can't keep going on its own. No. It needs a head. Anyway, so unity, everybody everywhere, uh, community. Uh, I think some parts of my organization are either self-sustaining now or could be. Uh, some are not even close, and that's okay. Uh, I think I still feel like a large part of my goal is to get there. So now I want to – so that's sort of lost track here with Brent's hyperactive leg. Uh, now it stopped. Good. I thought it was like a, it's like a dog it's thumping something his tail with you. on the floor. I am, I am 
actively you not would, fidgeting if, with the microphone. If you would just get your crap together, where did my <sighs> notes go? Uh, I want to go back to Tony's question and then maybe in the last 15, 20 minutes we have here at the most, I want to go 15. through I want to go through his points sentence by sentence and talk a little bit more about those. And I think some of this stuff is going to have to bleed over into another episode. So so ping us with your questions on Twitter or in the Slack group because I do want to dive into a I lot think of this, this is stuff. an important discussion. Like without without with, take a pause and without reading Tony's uh Thing. What do you think is the primary theme that he like? He's trying to look for a solution. Is it community building? No, it's not. Okay, I wanted to start with that. I think Tony has a disengaged test team, or he's talking about one who are not. They're not. They don't have the growth and hunger and seeking that we that you and I look for in people we want in these organizations. I think he, my hunch is he's talking about how do you take people who really aren't into this, they just want to do their thing, and make them people who want to engage in a community. There's a lot of jumps here mm-hmm. because I feel like, and Tony, and I could be over analyzing or Tony could be over dramatizing, but I, what do you do with people who just aren't right for the job? And, and I don't even know if that's part of the problem, but we can. I mean, I and, agree, and, and maybe that could be a little bit too deep there. But I'll, I'll put it a different way. One of the things I look for people I hire and people I want to grow and promote or keep in my organization is a hunger to learn. People who are want to learn new things and are interested and think that it's important for their own growth and self sustainment. They actively seek out things like communities in order to learn. And when they don't, when they shun the community, when they think they can figure it out by themselves versus leverage others to get their work done, then I think they have growth problems or other issues that I want to nip in the bud. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to invent a poll for you. What is more important? You solving the problem? Or you solving the problem? If I interpret correctly, uh, what's more important to me is the problem is solved. Okay. So the first one in your, in your emphasis. Right. Now, you, you may have noticed that those words were exactly the same. Yes. Right? It's an ambiguous statement around what is the important principle. And so I think one of the things that leaders in this space need to do is don't leave it up to interpretation as to, from that statement, what is the order of importance of the principles. One of the problems when I, for example, when I, one of the problems I have with people who come aboard and join my team, my team operates as a mini community. And what is a community? Community is... What I think of community, it is a vehicle to scale knowledge sharing. I don't care. Like some people may think, hey, a community is getting people together. Uh, let's talk stuff. But if if you're doing that and it's not a vehicle for knowledge sharing, I, I it, sure, by the definition, it may be a community, but it's useless to me. And uh, there's a new kid. Uh, that's been on my team for about six months. 
and he's got signs that, that what I've been trying to get him to do and what I'm trying to get him to understand has finally clicked. And now shit's happening and it's uh, love it. But I'm like, look, dude, you need to have faith in the rest of your teammates. They're not here to compete with you. They're here to help you succeed. Trust me. Try it out. Because there's the that sounds so un Microsoft. I know. It's it's actually one of my success, sadly successful strategies to keep people on my team. Uh, because we operate a different way, and they know that they give it up if they leave. But he repeatedly would show up in retrospective, and one of the things that we talk about in retrospective, we will go, "What was the latest ticket? What ticket took the most calendar time?" And that's the one we always talk about. And for like two months in a row, it was him. He got tired of it. And then in retrospective, we were like, yeah, you could have cut this ticket in half if you just went over and asked that person, how do you do this? Yeah, I even have a, without naming any names, one of the, one of my teams has a little bit of all by myself syndrome. That's what the problem was when he started. <laughs> so but it, I can do it. So it's a critical, it's a, it's a, Everything's critical. It's an important uh, component that the whole company will use. And the team, for some legitimate reasons and many non-legitimate reasons, did a lot of things by themselves instead of leveraging the community of the company around them to help them. And it slowed them down. Things are back on track. It wasn't a horrible leap in the wrong direction, but you have to leverage those around you. Uh, they got a little stuck in a, it's a long story. I, without, I won't share any details, but I'll just left, left that out. Uh, I like the definition of community and I want to touch on yours. So a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. That's off of Webster. And what I think you want from a community, which is what I want too, is we want people who leverage the power of that. Yes. And many people are, and what Tony talks about, people that are there, that community's there, that, that textbook definition's there, but they don't really care about leveraging the power of that community. And I think in knowledge work, you have to leverage the power of your community. If you are not learning constantly in your role, perhaps you are doing the wrong thing. Yeah. I'm going to just say just two points quick, and then I'll let you have the final word. Sure you will. All right. Uh, Number one, and when you start with this, it's going to be a spider thing for sure, right? Because what you have to do is change people's behavior, and they're not going to do it naturally. You have to gently guide the expected behavior, which means you be proactive and clear on the principles and what you're looking to see, and you incentivize it. Now, incentivization doesn't mean you give bonuses for people who share because you're going to get the wrong behavior then. But praise goes a long way. The second thing, as a leader, so I've been doing this for a long time, so I I know how to get new ideas, right? We've, We've quoted Johnson repeatedly. New ideas come from... Old ideas getting together. This is, in addition to knowledge sharing, this is a huge value out in community. But brainstorming of this sort in a, in, a, in a community fashion, 
is not second nature to most people. While we're on Johnson, uh, there's a relevant quote here from the same book. Chance favors the connected mind. For sure. And it just like shivers and, and that's like I want to make a poster. This is why community is important. Chance favors the connected mind. So one of the things uh, there's there's uh, one of my very favorite techniques on this that I've blogged on uh, was the speed dating process. Right. You, you basically look in and, and this helps the introverts like you like, OK, you got two problems. I'm not going to describe it here. We're almost out of time. Find my blog post. Maybe Alan will remember and link to it. Okay? Probably not. Um, but here's an example that I went through just yesterday. Two days ago, I have a problem. I know how to solve it. But I went and had lunch with a peer of mine who I know is. Uh, somewhat connected to it. And I said, hey, how would you solve it? And now one of the things, there's a lot of talent in all of these companies. But there's this phenomenon that's true for everybody. If the only tool you know how to use is a hammer, every problem is going to look like a nail. Now, um, Another way of saying that that's probably more positive is you're going to solve the problems with the the tools you know how to use. That doesn't mean that's the only way to solve the problem. So I asked him his solution, and he said, oh, I would do this, this, and that, and this. And I look back, and I'm like, oh, my God, your solution not only would solve my problem in about half the time, I would be able to add these additional experiences. That's way better. A simple community kickstarting type of thing uh, on this front would be get people together, form them into the round tables and say, I want you guys, here's a big problem. How would you guys solve the problem? How would you guys solve the problem? How would you guys solve this problem? force them to work together towards a common goal and they're going to connect the dots within that little table. And then when you tell them to present outwards, a bigger, better solution is going to become clear. Which is uh, interesting. You mentioned that because one thing I saw at Microsoft frequently was the opposite of that. They would charter three different teams with solving the same problem and have them compete against each other to see which one could solve it better. And I believe that you, this solution you just described would, in hindsight, for many of us, uh, been a much better solution. Yeah. I do want to cover one, at least one sentence. I think it's very important from Tony's uh, question. It's really not even the question part. A lot of talk on the podcast about starting a community for testers and testers not having to report to a tester for a manager. While I do have people in, I have leads in my org who currently work for directly for development directors. Uh, very shortly, I will have some individual contributors on my team move to work directly for development leads. But you and I both watched at Microsoft. Most teams, most teams did this combined engineering thing, not unified, combined. Right. And it didn't go smoothly. Eventually nope. it ironed out. But it didn't go smoothly because the support and infrastructure of the 
and community wasn't there to support this. What I think is really important is I fully believe that well, it is— Well, not only that, even in-house leadership wasn't yeah. there to support it. So I fully believe that the most efficient way to make software is to not have— not only not have an independent test team, but to not have a specific person assigned to doing only testing. That person ends up being a bottleneck. I fully subscribe to the theory of constraints. Yep. And I believe in the test and quality specialist on the team, just as you'd have any other sort of specialist. They're going to pick up more of those tasks, but they're also going to make everyone around them better testers, just as a perf expert or a database expert would do for their feature team. That requires building a community that not only includes a supportive and self-sustaining community that not only includes or largely self-sustaining, not only includes the testing and quality experts, but the development team and the management and the leadership of that team. You know what the key difference actually, the key difference between a combined engineering and unified engineering? What is it? Is it a team of specialists or or is it a team of T-shaped? Very much could be. I like that. So the T-shaped persona, uh, you can look it up. We've talked about it before. Lost track of where I was. But you only, I will only move people to move, to work for, directly for dev leads when the community, the community leadership, the whole infrastructure, the community of communities supports it. Even so, I would expect me at some point to get to a place in my career at Unity when I have nobody reporting directly to me as far as the uh, uh, HR solid line show, but I will still run that community for some time. It's a very gradual process. Like right now, it's a, it's a process in transition. It will take me a shorter time in some groups and a longer time in some groups, but I can definitely see a place somewhere down the line. I'm not even going to put a time limit on it. When I could have people work, everyone working for the dev leads, and even at that point, I think there's still some work for me to do to slowly back off on my involvement in making that community run. I think what I love a line from Brent sometimes you just want to rip off the band aid, but be careful because sometimes it's a tourniquet. And I think a gradual withdrawal as I watch and make sure. Uh, the community is going to self-sustain. And when it's not, dive back in and make sure it is and do a little bit of that bouncing, a little yo-yoing in until I'm positive that community is self-sustaining. And at that point, uh, maybe I'm also transitioning and doing something else at Unity. Things change so fast, I'm sure there will be, if my boss is listening, a role for me so I don't have to go job searching again. There's there's (laughs) another great quote on that in that hire the people that automate a job, their job away, and then give them another job. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. it, it's well known. So, and, and, and just connecting the dots from the podcast, like it, I now actually realize with greater clarity, we've always agreed that this is what you're doing and it, we don't know the timeline. But now with greater clarity, I understand what you're doing. You are using your position as the head of the spider to turn in this org into a starfish. Sure. That's a hundred percent what you're doing. It is crystal clear in my mind now. I'm doing a biology experiment. Yeah. So the point I want to make clear with- to Tony and anyone else listening, thinking about like, oh, A B testing says and modern testing says we should have all of our our testers just report to development leads. Uh while true kind of 
only make that change when the community and the leadership and when the organization is ready for that. And your job as a leader is to help make the team ready for that and be successful in doing that. I love this metaphor. I'm sorry. Because I now actually realize the problem with even greater clarity. Because if, (laughs) if you're busy trying to remove the head and transform into a starfish, it does not help your your we'll call it legs if they move from you to a new spider yes so i think we're going to dive into this a little bit more uh send us some questions on twitter alan page or brent m jensen or comment to on the blog post website or join our slack channel one of the three dot slack dot com and we'll answer your questions we got to wrap it up thank you for listening once again i'm alan i'm brent and we'll see you next time bye